breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This on Blaze TV Podcast Network. It is an honor to be with all of you. And if you're looking for a voice of freedom, a voice of liberty, a voice of Americanism, an American Muslim that understands the problem, the threat that faces us, you have come to the to the right place. If you're looking for apologetics, for identity politics, for bromides, and for political correctness, you've come to the wrong place. Here on Reform This Week to Week, you and I discuss some of the most controversial areas, the topics that just don't get time on the lamestream media that you and I can talk about regarding Islamism, terrorism, Muslim reform, strategy domestically and globally against radical Islam, and the threat, the reality of the threat, not minimizing it, not exaggerating it, but the reality of the threat that we face here in the United States and globally. This week is no different. We've got quite a bit to talk about when it comes to reform, reforming this. What what am I talking about? Well, many people, I have to, actually, let me step back for a second. I have to take time to just spend a few more minutes on Syria. I know we talked last week or maybe two episodes ago about President Trump's um, decision to pull out the few thousand troops that we had there, a few hundred troops or however many, there were about less than 2,000. And I want to I want to punctuate some of the primary issues that I, I think are important. Again, I'm not trying to convince all of you that we need to have any type of deployment, major deployment into Syria. Yes, I've got family in Aleppo and Damascus that uh, uh, understand the threat that have been within blocks, half a mile, of, of major war, of chemical weapons and, and attacks from not only ISIS, but uh, the regime, the Iranians, the Khomeinis, Hezbollah, and others. But I think it's important that every American understand what was actually being done in Syria and why we had 2,000 troops, why we had special forces there. First of all, when it comes to President Trump's announcement of withdrawal of troops, I have to tell you, I don't see anything different from a year ago. So the first issue is, are we really withdrawing? Yeah, there are some troops that he's removing, basically making our presence absent. But was there a major troop presence? Any troop in a foreign land, in a, in a place of war, is going to be a presence of American families. But we have to understand what is a major deployment. Afghanistan is a major deployment. Iraq was a major deployment. We have hundreds of troops in Somalia that are part of special forces. We, we, we rarely talk about American troop deployment by the president in Somalia. That's a Pentagon decision for a targeted operation against Shabab and others. There are other places in the world in which we are fighting the asynchronous war of, of radical Islamism by having troops present and special forces present. So, number one, was the Syrian presence that we had in, was was the American presence in Syria a significant deployment? I would say it was mainly special forces. Number two, 
What intel are we going to have anymore? The region in which we were present, northeast Syria, yes, it included 30% of the land, but most of that was controlled by the Kurds that were receiving command and control and protection from our intel, from our forces, that in a return on investment, yes, we lost four more troops than we should have, but we lost four. The Kurds lost 10,000 in the last two years fighting against ISIS. And there's walls of a memorial for the Syrian Democratic Forces, which are mostly Kurdish, that were fighting against ISIS. So number two, return on investment was quite, quite high for intel of the Khomeinist, of the Hezbollah threat, intel of Iranian presence and missiles and other Uh, threats against Israel and American interests, including the Kurds that were being parked near that area by Russians, including S-300 missiles and others. So one is truly understanding the size of the deployment. Two is intelligence that we're now going to lose. Third is what is our strategy in the region in this nexus between allowing now Turkey to come in? Russia is already beginning to put in troops into an area in which we are removing our troops. Khomeini's infiltration from Iran has been basically making Syria into a client state, and then the Assad presence, which in no way is an ally of the United States, but is a genocidal, tyrannical client state of America's greatest enemy in the planet, which is Iran, and Israel's greatest enemy. And then the decreased ability to protect our greatest ally, Israel. That's the third point. The fourth point has to do with And I have to tell you, I'd step back and say it's almost a utilitarian argument in which I believe that place is going to get a lot more chaotic as the Russians and the Khomeinists and others begin to threaten Israel. Already within two days of President Trump's announcement, you saw attacks by Israel upon areas in which they saw Hezbollah placing missiles that could directly target Israel, and they had to do that. So you're going to see Israel take it upon itself to protect itself much more so in the absence of America. You're going to see a feckless um, engagement by France and and UK and others as America steps back and now really leads from behind. You're going to see really neo-caliphate involvement of Turkey as they start to say they can control ISIS when in fact they're using it as as a beachhead against the Kurds in which they begin to, God forbid, slaughter Kurds and other allies that we have. They really have no business being in NATO, but again, we have allowed them to go in on the basis that they are a NATO ally. And I think that's very unwise. So those are the points that I would make about Syria withdrawing, about America withdrawing from Syria completely. I do believe that we have a lot of interests in maintaining some special forces there, no major deployment some special forces. But in a utilitarian way, I would tell you that our complete absence is going to cause an implosion that will ultimately need to force a clarification of American policy in Syria. So that's going to possibly be at the heels of the Kurds turning to the Russians or losing more lives to the uh, radical Islamists that are metastasizing because ISIS is uh, decimated. But jihadism is growing. So make no mistake, jihadism is more alive than it ever has been. The greatest cauldron and fuel for ISIS 
is the existence of Assad and the Khomeinist infiltration there because they are the Shia version of ISIS. And the Sunni version of ISIS or the Brotherhood will continue to thrive. Now, when you look at strategy in the area, I have to tell you, as we look at this new year, we need to be on the offense. I totally understand the American frustration with the lack of return on investment of our blood and treasure and time in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere. And I think if there's any lessons for us to learn, yes, I was in favor of the Iraq presence and the decapitation of the Ba'athists of Saddam Hussein. We won't relitigate that. Regardless of what you feel about the American invasion of Iraq, at the end of the day, it is important that we minimize the presence. And I do not believe that the ills that the Arab awakening, not our invasion in Iraq, but the final, the first uh, solution to finally begin to solve the problems of tyranny, of Islamism, of autocratic secular fascism, of Arab nationalism, and all the different manifestations of mafioso-type autocracy that exists in the Middle East was the Arab awakening. Now, that created major vacuums, most of which have been filled by even worse scenarios. But it's the beginning of a solution. And as I tell many people, Iran is, I think, the best example that hopefully as that revolution that now is beginning to gain traction gets traction and the Khomeinists are defeated, we will begin to see the end of Khomeinist Islamism, the end of radical Islamist terror from the Khomeinist version, the Shia version of radical Islamism, and they will never win an election again in Iran, that that revolution will, first, the Islamic revolution set aside the monarchy, the dictatorship of the Shah, now that, in retrospect, appeared to be one of the more benevolent ones, but yet it was a autocratic military dictatorship. Now they've had 30 plus years, almost 40 years of Khomeinism, and they will, in another revolution, realize that they never want theocracy again. So that's part of the maturational process. Now, obviously having ISIS come to power in Syria is probably and likely worse than Assad. I say probably because genocide is genocide. Now for the region and globally, ISIS is obviously worse. Assad uh, was content in maintaining uh, simply a genocidal tyranny on his own population, but now he's become an arm of Iran. Iran wants to create a Shia crescent that dominates the region and defeats the Sunnis and preaches death to Israel, death to America, and Assad is part of that, make no mistake. So, my message to you, where's our offense? The Islamists are on the offense. The Islamists have a military arm that has decreased its threat in the West, but is continuing its decreased threat because we have, with our whack-a-mole, defeated their terror cells wherever they pop up. But the nonviolent arm of that Islamist caliphism that wants to bring back the glory days of Islam as their clerics from Awlaki from the last decade, Imam Awlaki to Imam Qardawi of the Brotherhood's spiritual guide of this decade and for the last 60 years before he's been preaching this. 
But whether it's the Islamists of the Neo-Ottomans of Erdogan or the Islamists of Qardawi of the Muslim Brotherhood or the Islamists of Jamaat Islami in Pakistan or the Islamists in Iran, they are using every mechanism possible, violent and non-violent, to get to power. The violent arms have lost significantly in the last year. But the non-violent arms are actually at odds with the violent arms because they don't want their mission, their end game exposed, which is what the terrorists did. So now that terrorism has decreased, the Islamists that believe in using civil society, democracy to get into power are actually making more strides. And I would tell you that in many ways that's more effective for our enemies is using our systems, our free speech against us without us pushing back. Now, if we start to push back and use our own free speech to the best we can, I think then they will be defeated because their ideas will not last. It will not withstand. It will not withstand the antiseptic of sunlight. But we've only been playing defense. When, ladies and gentlemen, are you going to challenge your Muslim neighbors about political Islam, about the threat and the ideas of Sharia law? in government and elsewhere. I think we need to challenge that. We need to call for the question of why aren't they reforming? Why aren't they active in bringing about reform? And they have not. We need to ask these questions. We need to be in the offense. And things that happen here domestically can then be transported through campaigns, through social media, through new media, video clips, Twitter, Instagram. Just like now I'm seeing Beto O'Rourke who hasn't declared his candidacy, take his Instagram video into his dental chair as if we care about seeing him get his teeth repaired, and that's getting thousands and thousands of views. And yet Muslim reformers in our Muslim reform movement are fighting for the freedom to wear or not wear the hijab, are fighting for freedom against the tyranny of dictatorships and are being shut down and tortured. There was a girl... Uh, uh, a young teen who sought refugee status while she was stuck in an airport in Bangkok. And social media saved her life this week. Why? The airport and the security was almost going to force, was trying to force her back on a plane to go back to Saudi Arabia where she would have vanished. And thanks to many in social media and her postings, that attention was brought to the free world and I think now Australia is stepping up to give her refugee status, official political asylum. And that's because of her activities on social media. Rather than watching Beto O'Rourke get his fillings, that should be getting millions of hits. And it did get quite a bit of social media traction, but not as much as it should have. It wasn't the main stories on mainstream media. It wasn't pushed by many of the icons of social media. And, you know, this is the issue, is that we have the ability to go on the offense on Islamism against the radicals, against regimes that may be our allies diplomatically, but when it comes to ideologically, we should have grassroots programs from private and public partnerships to push the ideas of liberty, just like the Islamists just like the Islamists push their ideas of theocracy down our throats. But no, ladies and gentlemen, instead, we have two members of Congress now that are, are just rabid Islamists. I'm not saying they're terrorists. 
They are Islamists, political, theopolitical Islamists who defend Hamas, who defend any group that believes their identity is based on Islamic identity while they have vile anti-Semitism that Ilhan Omar has has attacked Israel repeatedly as has Rashida Tlaib and her profanity-laden criticism of our president and others, things that she would never say on the streets of Gaza about Hamas leaders. She might say that about Trump, but certainly not about Hamas leaders. There's a hypocrisy there. There is a bigotry of low expectations when it comes to what we expect out of our Muslim leaders in America. And the Islamists are doing this in the offense against us, while people who believe in liberty, who are believers in Americanism, are being marginalized and ignored. We need an offense, a promotion of liberty, secular liberal values, universal human rights into the American mindset, into the global mindset, and begin to take examples like the story of the Saudi now refugee who was able to escape forcible return in an airplane back to Saudi Arabia from Bangkok. All stories much more important than the vacuous dental extractions of Beto O'Rourke or the vacuous discussions of whether we should have a few hundred troops here or there. That's important. We should not ever sacrifice any of our sons and daughters for nothing. But yeah, this is not going to be a military war. And I'm I'm willing to agree with the fact that uh, uh, our troops are not going to solve this problem. But withdrawal of troops almost means complete isolationism. Complete isolationism will not, it will hold us actually hostage to the global Islamist offense. So unless we begin to promote reformers, promote offense against Islamism, begin to critique it openly at every opportunity, and begin to advance those who are liberals on the ground, just with resources, just with covert operations, just it doesn't need to be anymore about a military operation. I agree. I'm not disagreeing with the with the idea that militaries cannot solve ideological issues. Yes, ultimately, the Assads and the Khomeinists the tyrants of this world will not leave quietly. But that's up to their own population to fight that revolution, not us. And when you go in and you remove a dictator, as good as it made me feel for us to remove Saddam, that was not an a, a organic revolution, so therefore it's not working. I'm so happy that we did it. No apologies about the end of a Ba'athist like Assad in Saddam Hussein. But it wasn't organic. An organic Iranian revolution is the best solution to the nuclear threat that they pose. Just like any organic revolution of thought. But organic can be assisted with our offense. Do you think the Islamist success in the West has necessarily been organic? You, can you take away the influence of the billions of Saudi petrodollars, of Qatari dollars, of, of Khomeinist Iranian dollars into the West? Sanctions may have prevented some of the Iranian influence, but at the end of the day, now that's beginning to grow. Where's American Western dollars from Amazon, from Apple, from Google, from all of the Microsoft, from all of the American companies that have the wherewithal to begin to advance ideas of freedom? Yes, it's important to treat 
viral disease and famine and things like that. But it's also, if you don't, you can hand, as the, as the old cliche goes, you can hand them fish every day and it will never solve the problem if you don't teach them how to fish. And it's not just a skill set. It's a vibrant population that has the ability to criticize their theological establishment until they're able to criticize their dictators and get rid of their dictators through organized revolution, radical Islam will never cease to exist and will never be marginalized. It will continue to dominate Muslim societies. Next, I want to talk to you about foundational support in America. Great story written by, a great report written by the Investigative Project on Terrorism. Now, I want to take a break a sec to tell you, please join me on social media. Check us out on Twitter at Reform This Radio or Check me out on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Check out our podcast library and the latest episodes at blazetv.com backslash podcasts. And find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Subscribe, share, tell your friends about this program. I think they'll be refreshed at least to, to hear a perspective from an American Muslim who's unabashedly pro-Constitution, pro-American, and anti-Islamist and all about marginalizing anything done in the name of Sharia that's incompatible with Western ideas. My good friend John Rosamondo at the Investigative Project on Terrorism did some unbelievable work, unbelievable work that just has a treasure trove of information about foundations that have supported the Council on American-Islamic Relations. I have to tell you, first of all now, you know, as somebody who runs a nonprofit, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, founded in 2003 on the need to reform, on the need to bring tough love to the American Islamic community about doing away with old draconian theocratic ideas and trying to bring in the ideas of liberty. If you look at the trope pushed against us by the propagandists at the Council on American Islamist Relations, they, you will find that they repeatedly said that, oh, this is, you know, his following, Dr. Jasser's following is minimal, and uh, they will attack our donors and others saying that they're non-Muslim. And I said, listen, my constant response is that we don't have a faith test for who donates. We get, our board members are all Muslim, but at the end of the day, our only test for our donations are that they be respectable, honorable American citizens and that we do not take foreign money. But there's no faith test for who helps us because this battle for reform may not be realized by the masses within the faith, but those who believe it will help us and have the courage to do so are welcome to join us and do. But this is certainly not a populist movement in reform. Now, having said that, John's work showed a couple key points. Number one, Non-Muslim donors gave to care in, in levels that they've never given to them before 
in 2017 with over $3 million in donation in the wake of President Trump's travel ban. The hashtag starts being seen on social media, the travel ban, and then after that, CARE gets $3 million from non-Muslim organizations. Non-Muslim foundations view CARE as, why are they doing that? Well, they see them as a civil rights organization instead of a front for Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood and an Islamist organization. So I think these things are important. When, when CARE has the temerity and the hypocrisy to attack me for, and, and they, they do that, by the way, by saying that it's because of my pro-Israel stand that somehow we are a tool of those who are pro-Israel. And then they follow that with other tropes of attacks, uh, which are smears, bigoted smears, uh, using terms like Keith Ellison used, which is Uncle Tom. Uh, you'll find a Facebook page that says calls me uh, an Uncle Tom, among other smears and bigoted attacks on my work by CARE. Now, it's interesting that they seem to have no problem taking money from non-Muslim foundations. And John lays that out in a large spreadsheet that is present and available at his article at the Investigative Project on Terrorism. And when they were contacted, these donors, by the way, that donated to CARE didn't seem to care about their connections to Hamas. They didn't seem to care about many of the things that they were presented with. And, for example, the largest non-Muslim donors, the Silicon Valley Community Foundation and the California Wellness Foundation, stood by CARE San Francisco Bay Area Executive Director Zahra Balu, despite her anti-Semitic stance and support for Palestinian terrorism, and despite her, offen- despite her offensive commentary about American military, the fact that she openly, yearly, says she will not celebrate Veterans Day or Memorial Day, because of the terror that American troops bring. This is an American citizen. Now, you, there are other American citizens that hate our troops, absolutely, and they're not all Muslim, obviously. But you combine this hate of our military with anti-Semitism and hate of Israel and hate of the Jewish community. You combine that with facilitation of foreign lobbies that include the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, that include Turkey's Erdogan, that include Muslim Brotherhood affiliates all over the world and their ideology, with lack of criticism of those movements, and you have a much bigger threat, and you start to see why this organization is one of the first steps. It might not condone terrorism and actually speaks out against the act itself, but they never will label Hamas a terrorist organization. That's one of the things that I think is so key to understanding why all of this foundational donations that go to to care is important that the donors understand what they're giving to. You're giving to an organization that begins Muslims. It might use civil rights and identity politics as their as their camouflage, as their cover, but the reality is, is they're a separatist organization that seeks to unite Muslims in a grievance group against this country. Now, they might do it and say, though, they're the real patriots because they love American diversity and they're trying to be that diverse Muslim population. But yet, what do they teach inside the mosque? What do they say? John lays this out in tweets, in, in, in other uh, uh, documents and speeches that they've given in which they 
talk about Israel, for example, uh, Ms. Ballou has said that Hamas responding to Israel is similar to complaining that the rape victim punches the rapist. Now, if that's not anti-Semitic, I don't know what is. To compare attacks initiated by Hamas and then responses by the Israeli military to the exact location that launched that rocket to a rapist and a victim, by switching that is no different than the Saudi law in which the rape victim actually becomes the criminal. And I guess that's where they learned their turn of the tables. So the bizarre thing is that they're getting money to the tunes of millions of dollars from American foundations that supposedly are all about civil rights and yet don't seem to care about the reality of what these organizations believe about American soldiers, believe about the Jewish community and the anti-Semitic trope that they're pushing. Look at John's report. He shows and he lays out how the San Francisco Foundation, the Marin Community Foundation, the Asian American Pacific Islanders in philanthropy, APIP, under the umbrella of the One Nation Bay Area Project, a partnership aimed at assessing best practices, have been funding Muslim groups to the T of millions of dollars. And not just Muslim, these are the Islamists that care. And they ignore the fact that the FBI themselves will not do business with care. And they lay out, Senator Kyle, back in 2008, this is still have not been corrected by CARE and has not been retracted by the FBI. When asked, the assistant director of the FBI responded and said, the reason we officially do not do business with CARE is because they refuse, because of their relationship with Hamas and their refusal to repudiate Hamas as a terrorist organization and to tell their communities that this is a illegitimate organization. They could have corrected that easily, and they never did. So if the government, which I have tons of problems with positions our own government takes with Islamists, still has a ban on doing business with Karen, this is before, this isn't during most of the, the Obama administration that this existed. The foundations don't seem to care. It's just amazing to me that these organizations, as John lays out, they look at donors, the donors look at them as a mainstream civil rights and educational group. And they see them protest the ban, protest other things, so they say that this must be a legitimate Muslim organization, and they pull in then and legitimizes them further. So when people say, where are the moderate voices Here's an organization that is taking foreign money from the Gulf and also taking foundational money from American organizations that are supposed to be supporting Americanist organizations that believe in our constitutional system of universal human rights, but instead they're giving money to Islamist groups that, by the way, the heads of care were present and endorsing Erdogan, one of the biggest criminal dictators in the Middle East, who jails and tortures journalists and professors to the tens of thousands, 
They were supporting. So these foundations, American foundations, that believe in civil rights are getting duped by care and ignoring the position of Muslim reformists in our Muslim reform movement. We're going to try to apply for foundational grants to these organizations now that they've been listed uh, to see what they do. And what's fascinating to me is that CARE has their own Islamophobia website. They list the people they say are hate mongers, that they say are bigots against Muslims and Islam. And yet now if I do the same to try to expose how we, you know, you look at the, the care came up with this pie graph that shows the inner circle and outer circle that, and this was actually not only their work, but it was done under the rubric of the Center for American Progress that put out this report called Fear, Inc. And they talked about millions of dollars donated to the anti-jihad network. And it included our organization and a couple other Muslim organizations that are involved in reform. And they said that this is money going to bigotry and hate, etc. When in fact, a lot of it is being done. I'm not going to endorse every individual that's listed there. But at the end of the day, a lot of it was being done simply to try to expose the threat, the conveyor belt of radicalization that exists among Islamists and brotherhood type, Muslim brotherhood type Islamist organizations. Many of which, many of which end up producing leaders of care and leaders of of ISIS and Al Qaeda and others, even though they may start out nonviolent like the care types. So, when are we going to begin to educate the leaders? The leaders in our community are not only the guys on TV and the pundits and the talking heads, but it's also the people fueling, as President Bush used to call it, the thousand points of light. Foundations that are doing that, who are you donating money to? Who are those people that care about the future of America, that care about the strength of the ideology, that want to use the laboratory of America to repair ourselves? You go to the American Islamic Forum for Democracy's website, and you'll see a quotation of the Quran that says, God does not help those who do not help themselves first. That's what we're trying to do. We believe that radical Islamism and the threat to this country is something that only Muslims can fix. Muslims that love our faith and get back to the fundamentals of the belief of our faith and expunge the theocrats from the center control of the establishment of our community. And we are being suffocated not only by the Islamist groups, but by the fact that political correctness doesn't let us have a voice the media ignores the diversity of ideas in our faith community and foundations on the left are funding our enemies. I'm not telling you to take away their free speech. I'm ready to give them as much time as they want as long as we have a presence also on the panels with them to debate their ideas. You want to continue to fund them? Fine. When they're getting $3 million, one organization in one year, and our entire budget is 2% of that, there's a problem, ladies and gentlemen, with the leadership in this country and what they're fueling. 
when it comes to American diversity and American ideas. Thanks to the Investigative Project for Terrorism on doing this work. Look at the resources they provided. Start asking these foundations questions about why they're funding CARE and all these other organizations that are Islamists. Why are they not helping Muslim reformers? Maybe that's the best question to ask them. Why have they not reached out to us? I might be conservative, but there are many liberals left of center that are part of our Muslim reform movement. And as you saw with Majid Nawaz, he was able to get the Southern Poverty Law Center to remove, not only remove his name as a hate leader and his group as a hate group, but also pay significant amount of damages because of that designation. And you'll find Facebook and others were using the Southern Poverty Law Center as a barometer of who is <clears throat> who is hateful speech and who is not. Meanwhile, they were mislabeling actual reformers that we work with in the Muslim reform movement and that are part of our leadership. So much to talk to you. I, I can't tell you how humbled I am by you taking the time to listen. Take some time to engage your friends in these issues and ask them what they're doing to help launch reform, the real solutions that can't be solved by our military, that can't be solved by simply a few minutes on television. It's my honor to be with you. I look forward to next week's episode. Share this podcast. Subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Look at blazetv.com backslash podcasts. And I'll see you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.